I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to episode 50 of the world's first Paul Weller fan podcast. I'm Dan Jennings, and 10 years ago, I gave up my live streaming career as a radio presenter with one big regret, never getting to interview my hero, the legendary British musician, Paul Weller. This podcast exists purely to solve that issue. Welcome to Desperately Seeking Paul. And this week, I'm joined by a hardcore Paul Weller fan who is so crazy about the live experience that he has created a new initiative called Love Weller Live. Steve Wheatley has been to over 150 gigs since first seeing the jam back in 1979. If you love the Paul Weller live experience, then you'll dig this one. So let's get into it. Hey, Steve, thanks for joining me. Hi, Dan. Nice to hear you. Well, I hear you all the time. So, so <laughs> podcast. It's nice to have a listener because, uh, or a listener on, I should say, because you're never quite sure. Obviously, the people I talk to, you're not sure if they're going to listen or not after time, you know. So, so you'll know the ins and outs of it. But it's also, you know, fans are so important to this podcast, not the fans of the podcast, but the fans of Weller and, and your stories are what makes it work. So I'm really looking forward to getting into this. I'll see if I can dig some up. Now, first of all, we're going to head back to 1977. So that's a, that's a while to, <laughs> to rack your brains, but um, I'm going to take you back to when you were 14 and this this discovery of the jam which was a a really key thing for you wasn't it yeah i think i was really lucky when i look back at it in in so much as that sort of 13 14 year old 76 77 when you're sort of discovering music or what's your music that whole punk and new wave thing really caught my attention and those of you know my schoolmates and hearing the jam for the first time in the city was the one that you know really caught my imagination. Really, I think they said more to me than you know Sex Pistols or The Clash or whatever. You know. And what was it about that song? Can you remember the setting where you heard that song? Was it on a TV or radio? Or? I think in those days, you remember cassettes. You know, I yeah. think and tape recorders. I think a mate would have, you know, or an older brother or someone would have, a, you know, would have the, the latest vinyl, and you'd be passing you know copies of it around on cassette tape and listening <laughs> to it. And yeah, so it probably was that. Or it might have been listening to John Peel late at night or something like that, you know. Whatever happened to TDK? Is that a silly company that still exists? I'm not sure. But yeah, the old C60, C90, and occasionally a C120 recording those albums for, for the double ones. And obviously, this is around the time of so punk, new wave, 
But there's something that, that that band particularly really connects with you. Maybe it was that image thing, really. You know, you know, I think there was something about that image, that sort of clean, sharp suits and that sort of thing. A little bit easier with your parents than the, um, you know, than than the. Than the <laughs> yes, that's true. Yeah. Well, I never had a pink Mohican, did he? I think it was that really more, you know, more than anything. But it, obviously, it's still had all of that energy and it spoke to us about you know about about those times really i guess and were you one of those people then who as soon as they start releasing like the next singles out your front row of the shop this is obviously pre-google it's not like you could suddenly then do a bit of research and find out when the next song's out and what well is up to right now the, the only way to consume is it through either the music press or the radio or just waiting really when a single came out i remember i was thinking about this the other day i think 79 1979 for me was it really really took off we had a rich for me a really rich run of singles in 1979 everyone seemed to top the one before and i was 16 it was the essential pocket money spend to get the you know to get to get the vinyl oh yeah absolutely by by 16 by the time i was leaving school going to college i was bunking off school bunking off college because in, in those days the the singles would be really predictable they'd be available sort of i think it was like monday morning or something yeah. it was perfectly acceptable i thought to make sure that i didn't miss out and i'd got the copy before, literally before it you know <laughs> as early as I possibly could. so what you're doing then going home and and, and trying to sneak in to have a little listen of it <laughs> Or I'm around a mate's house at lunchtime. Oh, yeah. So it didn't do my college career a lot of good, really, because <laughs> I would then bunk off till lunchtime so we could play it and play it and play it, you know. And so tell me about your first jam gig. And, I, and am I right in thinking there's a link between you and Trevor Neal? The Debenhams effect, I'm going to yeah, call and it. Yeah, it isn't Nobs and Knockers. <laughs> Although I remember it. Yeah, so I grew up in Southampton and... Oh, it's um, exactly the same Debenhams. <laughs> I hadn't realised that. Brilliant. <laughs> Yeah, no, absolutely. I couldn't contacted him since just to say, hang on a minute, you know. <laughs> How I thought that was my unique anecdote and he, and he beat me to it. 1979, the, I'd, I'd left school. The jam were coming to Southampton for the first time. Um, it was set in Sun's tour. It was late, sort of November time, 79. Massively exciting because obviously I'd been a fan for a couple of years, been buying all the vinyl, the prospect of seeing them. In fact, it was my first live gig. I think my, my parents kept me on pretty tight rein as a youngster, so I hadn't had the chance to go to gigs or stuff. You know, this was my time. Uh, I had a lucky escape the evening before the jam tickets went on sale. Trevor talks about his mates sleeping out all night. The police were playing in Southampton. I actually had tickets to go and see the police, and that was going to be my first concert. And then I saw people starting to queue up for the box office for Saturday morning. And so I sold my police tickets to someone outside the gig and got in the queue and really, really got busted for staying out all night to get my to get my jam tickets. <laughs> so yeah, that was that was that first gig, and I was as you'd expect, sixteen years old. I'd recently started work in the September. I I was buzzing, um, so I was out in the town in the afternoon, all dressed up, nowhere to go, just killing time really, and so. Like you did the Saturday kids, you'd wander around Debenhams. At the corner of my eye, I saw a, uh, you know, a really sharp looking guy dressed similarly, obviously, but obviously dressed better wearing this amazing boating blazer. And you don't, you didn't really get to see a lot of boating blazers in Southampton, although there was a port there that wasn't a boating blaze, blazer sort of place. So I took a double take and then I looked and then he was with a guy that looks just like Bruce Foxton. 
Bruce was pretty, you know, with his haircut was pretty distinctive as well. And then obviously the penny dropped and it was, it was Paul Weller, you know, the, the three of them were out, were in Debenhams. And did you get to say hello? Yeah, I got, I got to wander around shopping with them. Um, <laughs> was, Personal shopper. <laughs> I think just like anybody else of that age, I'd only ever seen the jam or, or anybody on Top of the Pops or Smash Hits or the New Musical Express. There he was Saturday afternoon in Debenhams, you know, looking sharp. And so I just, with all the, you know, all the front of youth, I just walked up to him and said, what are you doing in Debenhams? He said, oh, well, I'm, Chris, I'm shopping. <laughs> What's all shopping? Christmas shopping. Oh, yeah, of course, yeah. So I remarked about to people about how sort of unaffected he was and there was no one around, no one else had really noticed him and, and how generous he was, you know, with his time. Um, all the lads were really, really sort of talkative. So I was wandering around and Paul was getting, um, was buying a, a Christmas present for his dad so his, his dad unusually what you know wasn't around he sneaked off to try and get a christmas present for his dad and then gradually more and more people clicked on to the you know it was the jam um were were in the store it started to cause a bit more of it you know a bit more of a commotion so but for a while we had a good old chat you know i wasn't prepared to get a souvenir we didn't it wasn't in the days of smartphones or even mobile phones in those days so there's no chance of a sort of a selfie or a souvenir so i I had very nothing on me at all i earned very little money then so one of the few little little green pound notes that i had in my wallet I took out a, a nice pristine one, begged to borrow off of a, a shop assistant. Can I borrow your pen? No, you can't. But it's the jammer over there and managed to get a pound note signed by the three of them. Oh, funny. Brilliant. I mean, to say that experience and that, that first gig had a profound effect on you is putting it mildly because over 40 years you've been to, I mean, just a few gigs, I would say. So over 150 gigs now. Is that right? I did a rough, I don't know precisely. And, and that's... I'm, I'm going to do that. I keep saying I'm going to do that exercise to find out precisely. But a few years ago, I had a rough count up and it, it's definitely now it's over 150 gigs. There's some I can't remember at all. Um, and maybe some I've chosen to forget. But yeah, it's yeah, it's quite a few. Well, I'm, well, I'm, I'm still going, you know, that's, yeah. it's still a big part of what I do. You know. And this is all the way through. So this is Jam, Style Council, Weller Solo. Yeah, I never set out to, you know, you, you, at that age, you don't think you're going to be doing it for the rest of your life. At that age, the prospect of doing anything for the rest of your life doesn't make any sense. But um, I was asked um, a few years ago by my mum, who was aware of the um, Debenhams experience, because my mum at the time worked in a shop in the town. So once this this experience had dissipated and, and they, they sort of got ushered off, I, there I was in this unbelievable, you know, situation. So I had to tell someone. So I, I ran to see my mum who was in a who was working in a shop in the town. I've just seen Paul, I've just seen the jam, you know, he's got this signed, etc. So a few years ago, she said to me, is that Paul, that Paul Weller's still going? Are you, you're still going? Yeah, I'm still going, you know. <laughs> That's my thing. If he, you know, if he keeps going, then I'm going to... You're still going. I'm going to keep going. As a youngster, I saw the jam, I was lucky to say, five times, I think. I wasn't one of these that had a problem about the Style Council. I, I really liked the Style Council. In my life, where I'm like in my career, you know, uh, I, I was more mobile then, you know, by that sort of time. And I was more able to go to, you know, to more to more gigs. Um, yeah, yeah, so, so followed his, yeah, followed his whole career. Were you there at the at the Royal Albert Hall for the, the final Style Council? 
unlike the jam, you know, when he gave, he, you had fair warning that this was, you know, the yeah. Brighton was going to be the last one. Um, you, you didn't have that with the Star Council, although everybody could see that it had changed somewhat. But with some pers- perspective, I'd probably, a lot of people would like a house music gig now, wouldn't they? You know? I imagine there's a real difference in scale of some of these events as well. Uh, not least because when Paul came back being a solo artist, he was back playing places like Dingwalls and stuff. But then we also, a few years later, see you know the likes of Crystal Palace and Hyde Park, and we're talking you know 100,000 people and things. So it must have been really interesting to see these these highs and these lows of this career as well, so, to be able to catch him in all sorts of different venues live too. I've obviously got a few different venues under my belt now with all, with all of those gigs. And, and just on that number, I, I know people that have got like a far bigger number than I, you know. I mean, I know us fellas like to brag about our number, but the, um, <laughs> you know, I look at it, or certainly in the latter part, I look at a, a gig list now, a, a list of venues now, rather differently than I did. I think, you know, I used to look at them and go, well, that's fairly accessible. I can get there. He's coming somewhere near me. I can get to that one. Whereas nowadays I look at them and go, right, I'm, I'm looking for a gig that presents something different to me than I've, you know, than I've done before or somewhere I haven't been to in years. Definitely travel a lot further afield now than, than, you know, than I used to. So it's, no, I say it's, a, you know, it's a bit different. And are there venues that you love? Are there venues where you go, actually, whenever I go, Barrowlands always gets mentioned. Glasgow Barrowlands always gets mentioned yeah. as well, where that's always, you know, and the Amsterdam venue, I can't remember the name of it is, but that, that's a, yeah, they always get mentioned as somewhere where it just works. Is Are there venues, specific venues that work for you as well? I've been to Barrowlands a couple of times. That is a lively, man. That, you know, that... <laughs> I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't go anywhere near the place now. But you know, I mean, the whole place is the mosh pit. It's, it's, um, you know, they're certainly enthusiasts. That's a, that's a polite way of saying it. So I gave it a couple of goes in my younger years. Particular favourite, you know, I always go is is Amsterdam is the Paradiso. So there's something about the gigs abroad that I particularly like. I think, I think the atmosphere is very, is quite different. The gig culture, my experience has been that the gig culture is a bit different. It's quite laid back. In some places, you just relax. You can have a, you know, I was going to say a dance, but it's more of a jig about really. But you know, you have a bit of more space to breathe and a bit more sort of personal space. Whereas, you know, some of the venues can be a bit on top, can't they? You know, you know, I like the European sort of gig experience, really. I'm, I always sort of, that's a big plus for me. My better half is sort of tuned into it now when I approach her about, you know, would, you, would you fancy a little couple of nights away? Where's he playing? <laughs> 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 I need to get to that point. She's not quite there yet. <laughs> set list wise, there must be some songs that you want to be on the set list. And there must be, having done that many gigs, there must be songs that are, are a surprise because yeah, they're, they're the ones that he doesn't play very often. I think one of the nicest things about seeing Paul live is you don't know what's going to happen. Now, whether He probably does this for his own benefit, really, to, you know, chop and change it. I can remember, you know, texting people, he's played so-and-so or, you know, or where I've seen a number of gigs in a in any given tour. You know, I'll be talking to people, oh, he played Strange Town or, you know, something, you know, completely out of sort of left field. I like, obviously, you go to hear the new stuff, but he does treat us with beyond the standards, a few unusual ones. I think the one that sticks out for me that was on my massively on my wish list was for the Royal Festival Hall gigs. Oh yeah. Um, they were lovely, weren't they? They were great. I've obviously got pals that do the same as, you know, the same as me. And I've got built massive friendships with people that have fellow fans. We share notes and little tidbits and someone gets a hint. And we, we got a hint that changing of the guard was being rehearsed 
was being played in the rehearsals for the Royal Festival Hall. You know, that's a tune, if you were into the Style Council, I, I would think lots of Style Council fans saw that as a massive tune. I and mean, it's obviously getting towards the end, but that one for me really, really shone on um, Confessions. Just a great tune. We got a hint. We were sharing messages and someone had got the hint that it was being rehearsed and we were thinking, oh, it's got to be played. It's got to be played. You know, what would a f- you can imagine, you know, with a full orchestra. So obviously... I was going to say, it sounds a bit po face now to say that we were gutted it didn't appear. But, <laughs> but, you know, we weren't, we weren't gutted. But that, so that one was the one that got away, really. You know, that would, I, I would have liked to have uh, seen that, but we had nothing to complain about, did we? No, it was fabulous. Honestly, I, I, I could have happily, and I do watch that all, the recording of that, which came out with the other aspects album. It's just fabulous. I had, obviously, it was part of it was on Sky as well. And our Skybox died before Christmas, taking that with it, which was gutting, I have to say. <laughs> the, um, the little documentary about that which was really sad times but um, yeah a, that was a brilliant show I have to say I thought it was fabulous the other thing I think um, you're right it's always nice when there's like a, a style council or a jam song just dropped into the set list that you go because there's been a few recent years where I go I don't know if I've heard him do that live before but it's like Man on the Corner Shop or even Art School a few years back I saw yeah. um, I saw Andy Cross giving it all on that one. I'm not one of the people kind of crying out for the jam, crying out for the style council, but, but it is always lovely when he drops one of those in that you haven't heard. I me neither really. You know, I'm, you know, I probably get nearly as fed up as Paul about people talking about reforming the jam. You know, I, you know I've got no interest, but you know, again, I'm lucky I, I saw them. So I'm happy to leave that where it was and yeah. have fond memories of it and then, you know, and take it forward. If you like to be forward thinking, then Paul Weller is perfect person to follow, isn't he really? You know, yeah, absolutely. And then the Royal Festival Hall gig as well was Strange Museum was another one that popped out and he did that on the Forest gigs. I don't know if you went to any of the Forest gigs. I'm sure you probably must have done. Um, and again, played that. And then he played, um, what was the other one? Holy Man from Wildwood. It's like those ones, you're, you're, you're now getting digging into back catalogue which actually is solo back catalogue and it's a surprise you know oh my god do you remember this one it's what is it changing man <laughs> the solo years we all know have lasted far longer than than the jam and style council combined it's going to be 30 years later this year since the first solo single that was up in 91 wasn't it so you know 30 years so how many tickets did you have for the tour that was meant to be was it meant, it was meant to be last year and then was meant to be this year and now there's a bit at the end of this year but quite a lot of it's been pushed to next year go on how many tickets have you got? So I have form, really. I, I have a way of operating, so I don't tend to show my hand too early. Okay. So at home, I am I have to be quite political about it and, you know, get tickets for two or three gigs. But I'll be swapping messages with people about, have you got gigs for someone? Have you got tickets? Have you got any spares for so-and-so? And then, and the, and the, and the reality is I always end up seeing more than I, than I intended. Someone will say, Oh, I've got spares for so and so, and you know I'll get into the shows, and and that's it. I'm I'm searching around for t- for tickets for the ones l- for later dates, further further afield. There was one small tour a few years back where I did all the gigs. I was very proud of my um, Royal Albert Hall, which you'd have heard of me talk about, where I did five nights in a row. But actually, initially, I only had three tickets. I had the first three nights, and it was only on the third night I was like. I've got to do the whole run. What's the, yeah. you know, so one was, yeah, swapping, I think, or, or buying off of, um, you know, an expensive website. The other one on the Friday night was hanging outside the venue. Got, got in on that front. But yeah, there's, there's a bit where, it, it's a bit where it get, can, you can get carried away, isn't there? <laughs> My gig going now is, is because well, you'd expect it to be, is different now. Like to sort of cherry pick the gigs that really appeal to me or uh, offer something slightly different or I haven't been to for years. Tickets go so quick now. You've just got to be so sort of canny about, you know, yeah, yeah. About how you get hold of them. I'm, I'm very fortunate 
fortunate that I'm not unusual. You know, there's lots of us that have been going for years and lots of us know each other and we've got, you know, quite a nice little sort of network of people saying, have you got, you know, are you fixed up or that sort of thing? And there's, <laughs> there's some thoughtful, generous people out there to make sure that you that you're sorted. So in 2021, from, you know, from 1977 um, and your first gig in 79 to 2021, what is it that keeps you on it. What is, what is it about Paul's music that still works for you, both in a recording point of view and a live point of view? What is it about you know, when you hear the the album of On Sunset that still keeps you engaged? When you hear Fat Pop and the new singles that he's, he's releasing now, what is it that still works for you? I mean, I'm a particular fan of live. You know, live means a, a massive amount to me going live. But that's not to say that I don't get everything that he ever has ever released and eagerly await you know, the next thing, I think he always surprises us. Well, there's lots of it that's unexpected, isn't there? You know, there's, and even if you don't necessarily straight away get it, it sticks with you. And he, he will do something that's really, really unusual, you know, like um, Sonic Kicks, where he came and played the whole album. And he, and so you don't quite know, you know, you don't quite know what, you, what you're going to get. It's turned into a massive social thing. You know, some of the best gigs I've been to have been the most really unexpected. If that makes any sense? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think you're right. I mean, I say I say the same for myself. It's for me one of the big highlights was the Petworth gig, which was the Illumination tour, and that was an outdoor. And I'm not always a fan of the outdoor gig because usually the sound's terrible. And you know, if you if you want to be at the front, you have to stand there for hours, and you don't vent, want to venture away for a beer. Or if you have a beer, you're worried about needing a wee. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's always the best live experience. But actually, Petworth was amazing. I mean, I like the outside gigs, the forest gigs. A lot of the forest gigs mm. have been tremendous, great atmosphere. I'm, I, so I'm lucky my, my career is, has took me living all over the country. So although I live down in Essex now, I lived in Manchester for sort of 17 years. So I used to get to a lot of different venues, you know, standing in the pouring rain in the Northwest on a Friday night, in a, you know, it's not everybody's cup of tea. But that had more about it. I remember going to one of the outside gigs that was Warwick Castle. It, it was like a garden party there was, there was you know it was just not like a, you know for me anyway it wasn't like a typical weller gig you know there's yeah. lots of people s- sitting around sipping gin and sonics and and deck chairs and whatever and you just think nah i don't enjoy much being forced to sit down as well that's the other thing and the, the exception to that was the rural festival hall which you were planted you know you but you know i'm i like to get to the front I'm not a mosh pit sort of guy but slightly to the side my better half is quite short so she wants oh you know she wants to be to better see what's going on and you know we will do the queuing up we like to have a jig about you know we like to you know get carried away with it we like yeah. to shout out every single word and you know and 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 enjoy it that way and then the prospect of being penned in a seat it, you know it doesn't you know it doesn't have the same appeal although the, i say the one that proved me wrong was the royal festival hall where was just not backwards, really. I uh, spoke to someone the other day and I was just saying, you know, I've got, I'm not at all embarrassed to say that of all the gigs that I went to, that was the only one that ever got me really, really emotional. I, you know, it brought me to tears. I, I was sat there a few rows back, were really good friends of mine, and I'd gone, you know, you know, it was, <laughs> it, it was, there was something about being planted in your seat and just having to take it all in and listen in that fabulous environment where it, it just did something, you know. And the love of live music continues with um, the souvenirs that you've been making. So tell me about Love Well Alive. Like everybody, I'm the whole 
lockdown thing it sort of it started about a year ago really so i my background in my career has been in creative industry although i wasn't necessarily a job in creative myself i've, I've worked in that environment so i've always had a an appreciation for you know all things visual and and which is a strong part of the weller offer for me as well you know that whole sort of visual part of it it got me thinking missing gigs having all these you know unused tickets and flights to cancel and arrangements to unmake it, it got me thinking about taking all of that for granted really Really, and how important it is to me that whole experience and the social thing that it is so I wanted to market in some way you know we were all kicking our heels weren't we looking to do something productive so it got me thinking about what was the, the must-have souvenir well for me if you're lucky enough to be anywhere near the front the must-have souvenir was one of Paul's used spectrums I'm quite tall got long arms I've caught plenty in my time you know and I think you know that and the set list but if you can get one of Paul's used spectrums flung at you um, and you can manage to catch one then you know that for me was like yeah that's the you know that's the ultimate really because you know there aren't that many I've made a pin badge a souvenir pin badge for the 25th anniversary of the release of Stanley Road um, my first sort of adventure into that I have a bit of a an obsession with that artwork I love anything sort of pop art-ish or whatever and uh and i just love that cover it's just an yeah, amazing cover. Yeah. and i one of my souvenirs is related to stanley road i own the original printer's proof for one of the posters which is on the wall behind me i've got a ridiculous stanley road souvenir as well i've got one of the original printed posters from that marketing campaign it's a five foot so it's 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 i've, I've carried it around in this tube for years <laughs> i haven't got a wall to put it on you know but I'd done a little pin badge to mark 25 years of Stanley Road. I had all this time on my hands and this idea that, you know, I wanted to celebrate well alive, especially. I did a a pin badge that was a a tribute really to that or was inspired by Weller's favourite Fender Heavy Plectrum and uh, substituted Fender Heavy for Well Alive and uh, and then saw that that whole shape lended itself to being a bit of a template for other designs. So now I've done other designs that pay tribute to live performances, special performances, particular tours. I'm just the next ones will be celebrating favourite venues. It, yeah, it started like that. And I'm probably, um, as we speak, we're, we've produced about a, about a dozen of them and they're starting to get you know quite popular i'm selling them out before the you know if i physically got them in my hands so yeah it's great there's lots and lots of people that that share our passion so it's great because it gets me talking to all sorts of people i had someone contact me the other day message me kind of you know can I have a quick chat with you about a badge or a stock or something or other and two hours later we had to hang up on we you know <laughs> hang up on each other once we, you know, because the, the question was, what, what was your last gig and where are you going next? And, you know, that sort of thing. And what's your best gig and what's your worst gig? And, you know, and what's your most unusual one? What's the answer to the unusual one? You know, the, the band Paul wanted a break and the band wanted to keep on playing. So they came out as the Songbook Collective. Oh, yeah. So this was Andy Lewis and Craddock. Was that right? And it, was, was it? it was the whole band. Pilgrim, um, Andy Cross, St- Steve Craddock minus Paul so I thought well in all my years I've never I've seen Paul Weller band without Paul Weller so I had to go to the I had to go to that one that was an unusual one that was brilliant that was at the, the first gig was at the Cavern Club and uh, my better half incredibly social person so before long we were dancing with Steve Pilgrim's 
Nan um, <laughs> at the front of the stage. It was, yeah. you know, it's just a completely different, uh, completely different vibe. And we bumped into the whole band in the chip shop after on the corner afterwards. That's so that was seeing Paul Weller without Paul Weller. Brilliant. And, um, they, and they played each other's songs. Was that right? They played each other's, you know, sort of solo projects and stuff. It was, it was brilliant. I mean, they're all really, really talented, accomplished musicians, as, as you know. So, yeah. And a lot of them, they've gone on to do, you know, far more. So that was, that was an unusual Paul Weller gig. That was a Paul Weller gig without Paul Weller. <laughs> Everyone else but Paul Weller. Then there was going to see the Kings of Leon at Hyde Park because I like Kings of Leon, but I'm not. You know, I'm not a massive fan, but I went because Paul Weller was was second on the bill, and I'd realised that I'd never seen, in all the years I'd never seen Paul Weller as a support act. I'd only ever seen him as top of the bill, so we went to that one. You know, so I'm, you're always I'm always looking for you know some other different angle. You know, hey Steve, this has been lovely. I've enjoyed every second of this. Thank you so much. I have two final questions for you. One is, you're allowed one Paul Weller song for the rest of your life. It can be the Jam, the Star Council, or Solo. Which one's it going to be? Well, obviously, I'm, as a listener, I knew this question was coming, so I. I can't do the glib. Well, you know, <laughs> yeah, there's no it's like, surprise. It's like, it's like picking your favorite child, isn't it? You know, and all of those. There is one for me, and, that, and that's Above the Clouds. The people that know me and my family and whatever know that that's, you know, that's on the list for the funeral. But that's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, I, but I, I can't listen to it without thinking about a live gig because. At a live gig, it's always punctuated at a certain point with with the crowd's participation. I can't listen to it without thinking about it, you know, in in a live context. So whenever I hear it, even if I'm in the car or in somewhere uh, less private, I, I can't resist but sing out that note at this, the at the appropriate point. Uh, <laughs> you know, Pavlovian dog. You know. <laughs> Uh, final question Um, the purpose of this podcast is to be able to have a conversation with Paul and have an interview with him that I never managed in my radio career what should I talk to him about is there any question that you'd love me to cover off from your point of view well there's a question you can ask him for me and that is did he get his dad that briefcase for Christmas (laughs) (laughs) but more seriously I'd be interested to know what his thoughts are on his fans you know I compare Weller fans like football supporters, you know, win, lose or draw, you turn out. And Weller fans are much the same, aren't they? You know, that you know, lots of us have been supporting him throughout the years in the same way that you would have supported a football team, you know. And I'd be really interested to understand about his thoughts on, you know, that relationship and, you know, with the fans. That's a great question. Love it. Steve, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate your time, man. Yeah, see you at the front sometime, Dan. Thank you. My thanks once again to Steve Wheatley. What another fantastic guest. And if you want to find out more about Love Well Alive, just search for it on all the socials. You'll find Steve there. And you can check out thisisnow.design for more details. Next up on the podcast, I am joined by a man known as the Bruce Lee of guitar. I'm totally stoked that my very special guest is Aziz Ibrahim. We dive into some magical times playing with Paul Weller, friendships made, inspiration, collaboration, and so much more. Don't forget to follow or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, leave a review and share on social media. It does help us to find new listeners. You can also buy me a coffee and find information about my guests in the show notes. Get in touch on Twitter at WellerFanPod or on Instagram and Facebook. It's Paul Weller Fan Podcast. I'll see you next time. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.